Welcome to Sport Talks with Sport Profs. I am Prof Walls. I'm here joined with Prof Joe and Coach Berlin, as well as our executive producer of the show, Chelsea Vern. And we're joined here tonight by Sarah Jenkins and Victor Finley. So welcome and happy International Women's Day. We have uh, also a goat on the show tonight in terms of a woman who is, I'm sure, tons of cuts and bruises and scars from breaking all the glass ceilings that she has broken. And that would be our Prof Sevi, Sevesta, Karen Sevesta. And I think the other thing that is interesting, Karen, is, you know, to all the students, perhaps, and, and people out there uh, who don't know you, they should. And you definitely are a true trailblazer and have done amazing things for International Women's Day. So I really want to acknowledge uh, what you've done and you're a true leader and you continue to lead and just build. And I actually, we were chatting, Joe and I just were chatting today about RTA because the two people that we have on uh, Spotlight Speakers tonight are RTA grads. So of the first graduating year. And, you know, just to, to give a few stats here. So first graduating year of the RTA Sport Media Program, both Sarah and Victor. This is goes back to Rams Network and Rams Live and various different programs. So uh, Sarah, you were doing social media right back when I joined RTA in 2016. You worked on the 2016 Rio Olympic morning show. You worked at a research assistant in 2018, Pyeongchang Winter Olympics. You were at Yahoo Sports, uh, digital video producer at Sportsnet, Way TV, and now uh, working um, at CBC. And Victor, you worked at Rams Network, you men's sport hockey insider. You worked as in a fill-in play-by-play commentator for the Peterborough Peets, freelance writer for the OHL, and just practice and practice and practice and knew, we knew you were going to be who you are today. So we're really excited to have the two of you here. Let me just um, ask this question. You both were part of the first graduating class of sport media in 2018 and not having students before you, let's just, let's just start this off because there's some students here who need to hear from you. What should our students be thinking about now about that are in fourth year about to graduate going into the industry in a year still in COVID? What advice would you give those fourth year students, Sarah? Um, I mean, I have no experience graduating in a pandemic. And I mean, I feel so bad for every single person who's had to go through that. Um, I will say, I think the biggest tool that you can use right now when you're graduating a pandemic is uh, like the skills you learn at Ryerson and utilizing like social and digital media. I mean, I think if you were ever thinking about, oh, I'd like, like to go on air, but like, I don't have a platform to do it. Now's the time that you would start a TikTok, start YouTube, start whatever it might be, because you're at home, you're able to do it. You have your phone that can pretty much create any type of content you want to be able to still be producing content. I think that's the key is to make sure like you don't stop because um, I mean, even when there's nothing going on, there was nothing going on in like March and April, we were still finding ways to create new content. And I think the creators that make stuff now and that learn how to make it in a pandemic and are really thinking differently are going to be the most hireable people down the road because you're going to show that you can pivot and that you can create content under any circumstances. So I guess just keep creating no matter the circumstances and just finding new platforms to do that on would be the only advice I could give because I don't really know what it's like to graduate <laughs> in a pandemic. I'm sorry. <laughs> and Victor, what can you say also about perhaps maybe shed some light on how students can be focusing on their skill set and fine tuning their skills and, and focusing on being better at what they know preparing for that graduation? I think the, the last year or so here, at least for me personally, has given me a pretty good opportunity to look back on a lot of the things that I've done. 
Uh, and uh, I, I think specifically during my time in university, I was doing so much. It was kind of hard to keep up with with looking back and kind of being critical and, and reviewing my own stuff. So I've had a lot of time, more time than I wanted to be able to, to think over and, and review a, a lot of my own projects and ways I can improve and in areas that I have improved as well. I think it's important to look back and see how far you've come and, and be proud of that as well. So for sure, you know, graduating right now is, is really tough. It's, it's tough for everybody in the business right now. Uh, we're certainly hoping that, uh, that we're starting to turn a quarter here with, with vaccinations as things start to get back. Uh, it's, it's been a little better for me here recently. I know some other people as well that it's, it's been better for in the industry too. But uh, I, I mean, I just think the most important thing though, coming out of university pandemic or not trying to get into the industry is, is don't close doors on anything. I mean, the, the versatility is so massive. Like it doesn't matter what you want to do, if it's on air, if it's video editing, if you want to be a camera operator, it, it, it doesn't matter. It just versatility is, is so massive because the opportunities can be super hard to find sometimes and, and there's no shame in looking outside the industry for them as well so the more the more versatile and the more open-minded you go into uh, post-graduation life I think only the better for you. So Victor you recently had your debut on the NHL network via TSN commentating on the Ottawa Senators tell us what that experience was like for you something that you dreamed of doing well, yeah, I always dreamed of calling an NHL game. I uh, never dreamed of calling one in the middle of a pandemic. So that was a little different. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a great story. I mean, when I look back on it, you know, 25 plus years from now, uh, not many people can say that they've called their first National Hockey League game in circumstances like this. So uh, the, the whole experience was wild. It came out of the, the blue for me. I got a call from uh, one of the execs at TSN about nine days before the game and uh, they asked if I'd be free for a couple of them. I said, yeah, I'd, I'd miss my own funeral for this. So, of course. And uh, they actually flew me out to Ottawa, based out of Toronto, right? So I flew from Toronto to Ottawa a day before the game to call the game off a monitor in Ottawa that was happening in Montreal. So I really knocked out three Canadian uh, cities there with one stone. But I, I called off our games off monitor before because I've done Champions Hockey League on TSN in the past. I've probably done about 40 of those games. And those are all European hockey games that we do off a monitor um, at the, the TSN studios and agent courts. So I, I'm familiar with calling games off a monitor, but even in this case, the setup was right uh, at, at the concourse, the Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa. So I still, you know, went from the hotel to the rink like I would on a normal regular game day. But, you know, I walk into the building and it's just our little TSN spot right there. And the, the ice is still in the building, but there's no one else there. You know, it's, it's crickets. So a very odd experience. Definitely not uh, the one I dreamt of when I was a kid, but you know, I'll, I'll take it either way. It was a blast and I can't wait to do it again soon. So from commentating on ski jumping and basketball and ice hockey, tell us how you have to adapt the commentary depending on the sport that you're working on and what are the differences in that skill set? Yeah, well, every sport's different. Uh, and it, especially when you look at ski jumping compared to hockey, those are two very different sports. You know, he shoots, he scores, doesn't really work for ski jumping. So there's a lot of changes just in the way you call it, the, the pacing of it, just in the way you prepare it too, right? Like my notes for ski jumping look vastly different than what I put together for a hockey broadcast. So some of the things stay the same in terms of, of narratives and storylines. And I think as a, as a play-by-play commentator, especially commentating for a casual audience, it's really important to know your audience. But when you're commentating for a casual one, it's important to really nail down and lock down the most important storylines which is what I did for ski jumping. Whereas when I was calling games for Ottawa and TSN, 
that was a regional market. We were only on in the, the senator's market. So, you know, all the fans tuning in are, are pretty much big time Ottawa senator fans. So you, you get to work in a little more with the minutia and stuff. So th there's a lot of differences just in the way you prepare, in the way you actually call it. And for me, I, I love it. I love the challenge of, of getting into a, a new sport that I haven't done before. In terms of ski jumping, like three weeks ago, if you had asked me to tell you something about ski jumping, like, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to, to tell you anything you didn't know about it. And then in the course of about two and a half weeks, I, I brought myself up from a knowledge base of zero to the point where I was able to, to really hold my own and feel comfortable on a, a world championship broadcast uh, with the, the best ski jumpers in the world. So that's something I'm really proud of. And it's, it's something I love to do. I, I love the, the variety that, that sport commentary can bring, whether it's, it's hockey, basketball, tractor pull, fencing, you know, what, whatever it is, there's, there's always a great story to tell. And I love doing it. So as you're saying that, so play by play, it's a mixture of articulation, flow, vocabulary, knowing the plays, knowing the athletes. And so you said that you prepared, you did your research, but what else do you do? Do you practice? Do you video yourself? How do you improve on your play by play commentating? Well, the best way to get better at play-by-play is to do play-by-play. -play. That's what everyone tells you, right? That That's the most common advice you'll ever get if you're looking to get into on-air or play-by-play. -play. It's reps, reps, reps. And that's right. But you also have to do something with it. Like those have to be valuable reps. You have to make it a valuable learning experience. And the, the best way to do that is to be critical of your own work. And like I said earlier, I, I watch all my stuff back, right? I've, I already watched back my ski jumping broadcast from start to finish. I already watched my Ottawa Senator stuff. And and you you kind of pick it apart. And uh, I, I think it's really important to have a certain level of self-awareness as to, to where you're at and, and areas that, that you can improve. And then taking something away from those broadcasts and then going into the next broadcast with the idea, okay, this is something I want to focus on today. So for example, when I was at Ryerson, one of the things early on for me that I noticed in calling games was that I, I had a pretty limited vocabulary. So at least compared to a lot of the other commentators out there. So I made a conscious effort in specifically my first year, but it's always something I keep in mind now, you know, what are some different words I can work into the mix, right. To describe certain elements of the play, certain things that happen throughout the course of the game. So actively going into broadcasts with kind of an angle in mind as to this is something I want to improve on is a, a really good way to make those reps valuable. And over time, you know, you'll just continue to get better and better. And, and it'll be a, a constantly evolving process as to things that, that you want to improve. And I don't think there will ever be a point in my life where I look at a broadcast and say, yep, there's no room for improvement there. I, I think for me, I'll always be learning from myself and, and from other people. And I think that's really important to improving as a commentator. So Sarah, you are a content creator. You are brilliant in this space. You've been doing it uh, since the day that I met you. And you, it's obvious as well on your own TikTok platform, as well as what you're doing over at CBC. And quite interesting in terms of even the content piece you created for International Women's Day. Can you tell us the importance of that piece and what kind of elements in terms of creating content for specifically International Women's Day did you put into this that was so special? Yeah, uh, so I've worked a couple International Women's Day pieces now that I've worked in the industry for a few years. And actually the idea came about at my previous job um, because I felt like, so at the time I was the only woman on the team. So I felt very much like everyone stared at me being like, Sarah, what are you doing for International Women's Day? As if it was my responsibility to do it, even though like we did have other people on the team or whatever. So that was kind of where it started from was that I was kind of annoyed with the whole like 
corporate side of international women's day we see it with everything right we see it with pride we see it with black history month we see it with every single one of these like major token corporate like checkmark box things and like it's not to say that it's not important because at its core of course, I think International Women's Day is important, but I do think that there can be a lot of noise around it. So I thought this concept a couple of years ago um, and I was going to execute it at my previous job and that didn't work. So now that I've been at CBC for a year, it felt like a really good time that we could do it. And we have the digital studio and it was a perfect opportunity. So uh, we put together a small team to do this whole video about cutting through the noise of International Women's Day. And this year's theme was choose to challenge. So it worked really nicely that the whole concept was asking people to challenge themselves to think about not just obviously celebrating the when they broken through the glass ceiling. Obviously, once women have broken through the glass ceiling, there's a big bang. You all see it. Everyone's hooray. Like you did it. Like, but what about everything that happens along the way? What about the name calling? What about the misogynistic terms that get thrown at you? What about just the underlying misogyny and a lot of things in sports? So we wanted to kind of showcase that side of it and remember that that stuff happens all year round and not just to celebrate the wins in International Women's Day, but make ourselves very aware of everything else that can happen throughout the year. So our whole inspiration was from a Nike commercial, actually. So Nike did a great commercial on Castor Semenya, who was one of the people featured in the video. And we uh, were very inspired by that with like an old style VHS look and with just like the typing on the screen and just making it look different. And we, that's why we did it in black and white. So it really would like cut through and look different than everything else that we've done around International Women's Day. And it seemed to resonate with a lot of people, which was really great. I mean, I watched it so many times, you kind of become numb to your content sometimes once you've watched it a million times. But what was really cool for me, and like, I'm such a baby, I cried on Saturday about it because I texted Victor because in that moment, I have Stan Temming texting me being like, your video is about to go live. Like what, cause he's working on Red Olympic games. He's one of my best friends. And then like my video plays and then Victor calls right after. And I literally sat on my couch and cried. Wait, I'm such a baby, but whatever. Sat on my couch and cried. And I texted Victor and Stan. I'm like, how cool is this that three years out, like on a Saturday afternoon, in, like on Canada's national network, Stan's producing, Victor's calling a game. And then like one of our videos just that I've worked on aired nationally. So when Victor was saying like, don't close doors, like don't burn bridges. Like it was just one of those full circle moments that was kind of crazy only three years out of school too. So that was like an actual tidbit for RTA that was out of that video as well, which meant a lot. So what does it mean allyship? We I mean, we have Karen here who is not only an, um, an instructor in RTA Sport Media, who you all had a chance uh, to learn from, but also a trailblazer at CBC, executive producer. How important is it, Sarah, that people like Karen trailblazed before you and continue to... I'm going to say quietly trailblaze and also mentor young women and up and coming women like yourself. Well, if Karen's not an executive producer at CBC Sports, I don't make that video, right? Because like, I don't have the support to go like, because it's, we were calling out bullshit. Am I allowed to say that on here? Like, that's what we were doing. Like we were making a different, we did the same thing with a video we did back in December where we did the biggest women's sports headlines of 2020, but we didn't make them all rosy. We didn't make it all. We tried to slide in a bunch of like, Headlines that weren't great, again, like stuff like Castor Semenya, when you talk about sexual assault case with the Washington football team. And Karen was the first person to take that and like elevate it and say, this needs to, the part of this needs to go on our top. All the men in this department need to watch this video if you want to understand what we go through. And that's the type of voice you need because like we made the content, but like I'm still new there. I don't have the voice to be able to go like, hey man, you have to watch this video. It's really important. Like, but that's where Karen's able to elevate our voices and bring that up. So then because of that, I then feel comfortable to go, okay, that was well-received. We now have the opportunity to make something even more 
left even more different um and without that support we're not able to make the international in this video we did today and she did the same thing she was like sent an email made sure that we got on road to the olympic games and that it aired nationally before we put it on digital because it was an important video to show and without that support like that video doesn't get made right so i mean and even without people like karen i'm not I mean, I got my very first job because of Karen at the CBC and then without people like Karen, I'm not there. So whether people realize it or not, every step of it without like literally Karen just doing her job, I don't have a job, right? So it's, it's something you become a lot more aware of, especially when I came from a place that for a solid year and a half, I was the only woman on a team. And like, it's, you really don't realize how important it is to have that female mentorship and have those women in leadership positions until like you don't have it. And I didn't realize how important it was until I came back to CBC after not having it for so long and not having that support. So you have a massive- Can I jump in? Can I just respond only to say, thank you. That's very sweet of what you say. And she's right. I run a I run a meeting where there's senior people from all departments. And when I found out she was going to do that project, it was me who said, well, that should go on Saturday, you know, or Sunday prior to Women's Day and promote it. It's too good. And and then when I saw it, you know, it was great. And I reached out to say, you know, you guys better watch this. Don't just roll tape and have someone throw to this like this is different. Pay attention. So what everyone should know is, is that women do lots of great things and they break barriers and they break ground, but you got to keep digging the ditch because like everyone will just go, okay, we did that. We ticked the box and then we move on. And I, and I do want to be clear here that I've a mentor to many people and I love it. And Victor Finley is someone who is near and dear to my heart who, when I taught him the first time I met him, I went and I, and I worked on hockey night for 10 years and I went, this young man will be on hockey night in Canada one day. He will do NHL. And for all the moments when he felt it wasn't happening and I went, you'll get there, you'll get there. He got there and it's still pretty quick how far he got there. So it isn't just about mentoring women. I want that to be clear too. I, it's about being in the room and being an advocate for young people and new ideas and doing things differently. The sports industry is was pretty stodgy and white and we all know that and old fashioned and stuck on and now we're making changes and there are a lot of great initiatives out there and it's better to um, help them grow and change and do different things than saying, oh, well, that's not how we do it here. Sorry, down girl, down boy, you know? So it's about being supportive for, for everyone that has ideas, not just the women. Thank you, Karen. We first started just a few minutes before eight o'clock. We just had a moment to Joe and I to gush over Victor. And I know Victor, we keep saying this myself and Dan and Joe and Karen and your classmates are also very proud of you again, to see you uh, on broadcast and be like, there's Victor, look at Victor. And really, and I mean, this is obviously is your profession and career, but we're just excited because we're so proud of you. So let's talk. I'm going to turn this over to Joe because Joe wants to ask you a couple more questions about uh, just in general Olympic production and the experience you both had at the Rio Olympics and where you are today. Over to you, Joe. Yes, we gush about Victor, but we gush about so many people. Yes, yes. It's just that Victor is here with us tonight. So and and, and Sarah and when I'm glad Sarah mentioned Stan Temme. I see Adam Jenkins is here. Like. We continuously see and hear about all of you. And so we're constantly talking about you. So even though you've left the program and it's like three years out or whatever, your presence is still felt. That's the thing that I think is, in, is incredible. It's also because you are current and you're in the industry and so many of the teachers and everybody's going back and forth and back and forth. I think one of the big um, strengths of the program is the fact that there was such currency. There's such currency in the program 
that you guys got, I got to take you back to this. Cause I mean, I always remember that one of the things you, you know, your year would say was we're the guinea pigs. We're the first, we're the first and sort of took it as a negative. And I actually always thought it's a positive because nobody's in front of you and all the new opportunities go to you first. So one of those first new opportunities was take us, take you back to 2016. You guys were just coming out of second year and there was 12 or 14, there was about 12, 14 of you that from your year that worked on the Olympics, Rio Olympics, which I still will say is one of my favorite Olympics. And it was great to see all of you there. And like, that was a pretty, I think, heady experience for people just coming out of second year sport media to be able to work in an environment like that and to see so many of us and so many of your teachers working in the industry. So I'm gonna go to Sarah first, but to ask both of you about what that experience meant to you and how it kind of shaped and formed, you know, like to the next Olympics or the next games or the next gig for, for Victor. Cause I, and, and explain how, like, in a way, I really feel like that was a launching pad. No, like for sure. Uh, I was lucky because I was uh, in the research room. So I worked on the morning show. The Olympics is also a humbling experience. Cause I always say like, it's so funny when people say like, what was your first job in the industry? It was um, I got a call. I think it might have been an email from Karen, like a couple days before and goes, Hey, we need someone to do airport pickup. Do you want to start early as like a PA for us, whatever. And I said, yeah, sure. And I dressed like, as if I was like sideline reporting, like I had little booties on and I had like a little blazer and I went to Pearson airport with Nazar and had to hold a little sign that said like Olympic summit. And I had to like hand, I mean, I was giving like Clara Hughes her pass to get on the up express. Like that was like the unreal part, but I also like ate it and fell on my butt so many times I'm like running between terminals because I wore stupid little boots and Nazar's making fun of me because it was like such a like, oh shoot. Okay. Like I'm like, I don't know. It was just, it was a very humbling experience. I remember. And we were there for like 12 hours and like, it was exhausting. And that then like set me up to then like starting to uh, get ready for the Rio Olympics, which was unbelievable. I mean, it's so weird to think about now. Like I think in the moment, there was like 14 of us that worked on it. I don't, I'm not gonna say we took it for granted, but at that time, I don't think we realized how significant that was. Like now I do, because now that I'm like here in this position and I'm going to be working on my third Olympics with CBC, like I left right between two Olympics, which was kind of funny. Um, but I think it like truly did set up the rest of my career. Like that first working on Olympic morning, I was, my alarm was set at 3.15 in the morning. I had the cab, which then another person, Karen vouching for me because they didn't get me a cab at first. And then she found out I was paying out of pocket for taxis to get to the CBC at 3.45 in the morning. She's like, where do you live? By the lakeshore? She's like, you're going to get attacked by a homeless person. Like, just we'll get a taxi for you. I'd have my taxi outside at 3.30 and then I'd be in printing off scripts by 3.45 to get ready for our 4.45 meeting. So that was like, I mean, it's 21 days straight. It's like my dream was to work on the Olympics. And it was a really good way to like show you almost like like it's so exhilarating, but the not glamorous side as well is like the actual work. Cause it's like hard work and you really have to like, you kind of get like sick partway through cause you're so exhausted from it. And it's one of those things I think that when you're in it, you're so exhausted, but like the misery of everyone being tired is like what brings everyone together. And then when you're out on the other side, you're like, that wasn't that bad, I'll do it again. And so I think it, like it was just solidified everything you guys had told us when we were in school. And then when I went to Pyeongchang, I didn't go to Pyeongchang, let me rephrase that. When it came to the Pyeongchang Olympics, I then got like a promotion and worked in the control room uh, on the primetime show, which was really cool because that, there was a moment where it's like, Joe, you're producing figure skating on the front deck and I'm on the back, back deck, like adding up Tessa and Scott's score to see what they have to get and like was very full circle. So I think the Olympics, I mean, set up the rest of my career. It's the reason I got the jobs I did and that I'm still back at CBC now, but I think it also just like, 
humbled me and also like showed what true hard good work is in this industry. And Victor, for you? Yeah, my, my Olympic story is far less interesting from, uh, from Sarah's. So <laughs> it's a bit of a tough one to follow up because my, my job for Rio 2016 was to sit at a desk all day and press one button to insert ads over what whatever event it was that we're streaming. So there was literally one day I had the, the cycling road race and I sat there for six hours and I, I hit the button once. It was one opportunity to get ads in. So I just, I kind of sat there and, and did that. So it wasn't exactly an exhilarating job or, or something that required a lot of talent to do. But for me, my takeaway from that experience was the fact that I, I still showed up to work every day with a smile on my face and had a great attitude in and around the office. And even though it wasn't a job that, that didn't give me the opportunity to really show a creative side or show my potential, it was, I was just kind of happy to be there, right? And just to be part of, of the atmosphere and, and getting to know people. It was a great networking opportunity, not just with the, the people that I was working with, but I took the opportunity to go around the building and see how things were working. And I think I ran into you, Joe. I know I ran into Karen a couple of times in the elevator and and just, you know, kind of seeing people around the building and, and getting some names down and then uh, getting some facial recognition as well for, for myself. So, and then from that opportunity, uh, I, I want to say- Victor, Victor yeah. you also like would volunteer extra shifts like a, as a runner or something. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I, mean, I did, I did. You're doing that. And yeah, that's I, I, very smart because you got right. to know people. Yeah, exactly. I did take on a couple extra shifts as a runner. Uh, so I, yeah, I got like Shirali Najak uh, Churros. He was one of the top producers uh, for the Olympics. So yeah, but that's, that's, that's why that was attracted to me doing running shifts because it would just be FaceTime, right? For me with, with some important people. But from that experience, like two months later, CBC called me back and uh, they're like, hey, are you interested in, in coming in for some training and cutting some highlights for us in our CBC Sports content suite? So I said, yes, I showed up and I got the training. They started giving me shifts and I haven't done that job now since October of 2020, but for basically three and a half, four years, like that was the foundation job for me that I, I did multiple times a week. I was able to do it on weekends when I was still in university, which was awesome. Like that, that was a massive advantage for me getting out of university, having a job kind of already uh, that was, that was helping me, you know, in a lot of different ways. And, and that wouldn't happen if, if I didn't do Rio 2016, I wouldn't have got a call back to come and, and do a, a highlight editing job, which uh, in turn wouldn't have allowed me to do a lot of the other things I, I did. So even though it wasn't a glamorous job, it, it wasn't a technically difficult job by any standard, just, you know, ad inserting, uh, it was still important for me. And I, I think a, a big reason why ultimately things have turned out as well as they have here in the last few years. And you know what else you said about FaceTime? It's so important because what the students may not know or people listening to this may not know is that Sportsnet has people in our building at CBC. And because the industry is small and we all been around, when people got to know Victor, then we introduced him to people at Sportsnet and then, you know, people at TSN and then, hey, this great young person and same with Sarah. And, you know, we talk about young people. That's what we do. And the next thing you know, you know, there's, Victor, I think, has done something at all three networks, haven't you? Sportsnet, TSN, and CBC. I'm yeah. not really sure, Joe, if anybody can say that. You other mean than anybody me. in the industry? Well, like, ser like, seriously, who currently works for all three? Even Andy Petrillo only does us yeah. and TSN. I don't I, know. I know. I think Chris Cuthbert, at not at the same time, but at different points in his life, has done it. Oh, I, yeah, I think I'm talking at the same time. I yeah. know people have done it. But I mean, at the same time, freelancing for three networks and made the best network win. 
Well, it, it was funny. <laughs> I, I remember back in like December 2019, I got the call from TSN to do Champions Hockey League. And then literally 10 minutes later, I got a call from Sportsnet to do a, a CHL on Sportsnet Showcase. So I ended up doing Sportsnet on Saturday. And then like two days later, I was on TSN. And then like a day after that, I wasn't on air on CBC, but I was working behind the scenes for them. So uh, I guess that's one of the advantages to freelancing is you can, you know, kind of get your, your hands in multiple cookie jars at the same time. Before we talk about International Women's Day a little bit more, let's talk about the gig economy. I think that's a really good segue into this because this is the gig economy that that we're in and freelance work is very important in our industry. So, Joe, do you want to go down that route with Sarah? And Yeah, certainly. This is one of the things that um, I think is completely different for your generation as, com- as compared to ours is with my generation, you went out of school and you usually, you went to somewhere and you kind of stayed. Some people change around a little bit, but you, you know, you kind of went to companies and that is all changed now just because the whole landscape has changed and just the economy and society has changed into a gig economy, not just in media, but everything. So I think you guys really see that firsthand. One thing I want to start with with Sarah is like Sarah walked out from Ryerson to a job at Yahoo. And if you can just talk about that experience a little bit, because you did something really, really smart when your time at Yahoo ended, which not everyone would do. And you did the correct thing. And I always want to get that out there that you did something very, very smart. And I want you to talk about that because I truly believe this is why you're as as successful as you are and will continue to be. Yeah, so for those who don't know, I worked at Yahoo Sports, as Joe mentioned, right out of school. I walked out of my last exam and went to my first meeting at Yahoo. So I literally went like from one to the other. Um, It was a really good first job for me because it was a video producer title and it was on a really small team. So I really got to learn and make a lot of mistakes there. I was the only woman on the team when they got hired. We'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk about uh, International Women's Day and I saw some of the questions ahead of time and I definitely have some examples from my time there. But yeah, it was a great place for me to learn because I did everything from shooting to editing to social to whatever. And then we rapidly grew uh, and there's different, I mean, we've all seen there's like mass layoffs that happen in this media industry all the time. There's extra special circumstance when you're owned by an American company. So the thing is when you're a Canadian studio or Canadian team, based it up for an American company, America does not care about you. Your entire, like our entire being was like trying to work to get noticed by the US and they just don't care. So what happened was within six months of our team doubling in size, they took back the seven jobs that they gave us as full-time jobs. And I was on a contract before and then I switched to um, a full-time position. So I was technically one of those seven jobs. And they laid like mass laid off our team just one Wednesday morning in December, a couple of weeks before Christmas. And I like truly thought I would be at that company for like at least five to seven years. Like I thought I was going to get my next promotion there. Like it was really shocking, especially because I was on that first like team of like only like seven people before we doubled. So when I got laid off, I did the classic like layoff tweet that everyone does. Um, But I mean, I still like, I loved that place. So, and I loved working there. So when I like was saying goodbye, I was like sad about it and sad I was leaving. So I made sure to like thank them and their time. And the thing I tell everyone is once you've been laid off like that, I now know what everyone would say at my funeral, like straight up. I know all the nice things anyone would say about me being a good worker, whatever. Cause when that happens, like ever it's, it's actually like insane. Like the response that I got. 
So, um, I mean, at full transparency, I was um, at a restaurant or a bar down the street with my coworkers and former coworkers when I sent that out. So I put my phone away, didn't think about it. But by the next morning when I checked my phone, I had an email from every president or VP of every major media company in this country. And I had meetings with all of them set by the next day, uh, which was crazy. But a lot of it just came from the fact that as a producer throughout my time at Yahoo, I found it really important that even though it's behind the scenes to like push my content all the time. So like, and I say this to students all the time, whether you're like a producer, an AP, whatever, like make sure people know that you're making the content because that was my safety blanket. Also the fact that when we talk back to like, don't burn bridges, don't do anything. When I left CBC after Pyeongchang to take a job at Yahoo, like there was no like animosity. There was nothing like a, oh, Sarah ditch CBC. It was a they couldn't offer me the opportunity Yahoo did. I went, made my mistakes and learned there. So then the doors were, st were still open there for me to come back. And CBC was the first place to offer me work. Literally like on a phone call the next day, they offered me work. They said, we can give you social shifts immediately. What do you want? They were the first place to offer me work again, which I think is kind of rare. And I was really grateful for. So it's, I mean, it sucks that it happened that early in my career, but I do think that, I mean, I'm not in the position I am today uh, without that. And I do think it, it made me a little bit more jaded early, which I'm okay with. Like, I think it gives me a different perspective on the industry, but yeah, it was uh, an experience. I, I won't want anyone to go through it, but I mean, you do learn a lot from it. <laughs> no, I mean, nobody wants anyone to go through it, but you handled it so classy. And that's going to be your calling card throughout this, throughout your whole career is that like, you didn't do a swipe at them like, ah, they wave me off, rah, rah, like publicly in the snap. Because we're always saying students, don't put things out on social media nasty at anybody. Mm -hmm. this, uh, you never well, know. Andrew's still, like, I still work with Yahoo now. Like, I still, you, like, Will was, like, Will Lou, who I worked with at Yahoo, like, did me a favor and was on our CBC Sports U conference that we did last week. So, like, I would never, the Toronto media industry is so small, I would never, like, think to that. Maybe, like, if you're in the U.S., it might be different. And also, like, I mean, I was like getting a severance package and any, I was so terrified, even to this day, I'm so terrified to say anything like slightly negative. I'm like, what if they sue me? Like, what if they come after me? But yeah, no, it, it's such a small industry that it'd be, it'd be silly not to. Also, like, I knew it wasn't that team's fault. Like, I knew it wasn't their fault. I knew where it was coming from. I knew it came from the US. And I mean, I still like go out for drinks with all those people. Some of my best friends like still work there. Like, I still see those people all the time. So and I still ask them for favors all the time. So mm -hmm. I just would never, I would never think to like put them on blast or anything, no matter how much, like if I hold any anger. Now, do I just have a competitive spirit towards them? Absolutely. Do I want to just like be better and do better by that? Absolutely. But it's like a healthy competitive nature now. Yeah. And Victor, you are someone who's also realized that to, you know, get your career going on air, you're also going to do some other stuff. I saw you doing some camera stuff. The space that you're in right now is you are forging your path for on air. We know that and we know you will. But in the meantime, there's always, you got to do a little few other jobs. You got, and you're figuring that out, how to work the gig economy, right? What other things are you learning out of it? Well, yeah, I'm trying to learn as much as I can. And I've always adopted the mentality that there's no job below you know, what I am. Like when you mentioned there that I went back and did camera work. So that happened for me in August. Uh, so from August to October, I was doing camera work for the APC stock car series. I had a couple of buddies. I volunteered at Rogers TV way back in the day before Ryerson. And I had a couple of buddies from there who'd started up their own live stream company and they needed some camera guys. So they, they asked me if I was willing to go to Sable beach, like two and a half hour, three hour drive and do camera work for them. And, uh, 
turned out really, really well. They were happy with it. And I ended up doing uh, a race basically every weekend for them, which was an adventure. It was a dirty job. I, the, the last week we, we had a, we had an event at, at Brighton, which is a dirt track. And they, they put me up on the sky lift about 40 feet in the air. Uh, you breathe on it the wrong way. It feels like you're falling off the side of it. And uh, it was pretty cold and it was really dirty. And, uh, and I was up there for seven hours with a bottle of water. So, uh, and it's funny cause I got back down from it. I, I drove home and then, cause I was wearing a mask the whole time, even though I was way up there, it was cold that, you know, wearing a mask still had some value. So I took off the mask and like the, the skin around where the mask was, was like two or three tones darker because all the dirt that was coming at my face that night. So, uh, but you know, like uh, they're probably going to call me again to do that in May. And I'll say, yeah, absolutely. Because it's, it's a good experience for me to go out there and, you know, it's a favor for those guys as well. And, and I think, especially when you're in a gig economy, it's important to have friends. First and foremost, you have to be loyal to yourself, but it's really important to have people that are willing to go to bat for you too, right? And, and with these two guys in particular, you know, if they're in a pinch and they need a guy to broadcast the race, you know, like I'm right there for them. They, they know who to call because I've been there for them when they needed a camera guy. And, and there's just been so many instances with, with some other things I've done. You know, I, I did some stuff for TSM behind the, the scenes for the World Juniors that if I didn't do that for them, I don't know if I would have been calling an NHL game for them in, in February. I don't know that for a matter of fact, but, you know, absolutely. There have been people at, at all the networks and, and other, you know, startups. I've done a lot of stuff for lacrosse uh, doing uh, live streams for a, a bunch of different companies for lacrosse. It's, it's just really important to, to keep those good relationships intact because when you're working in a gig economy, there's absolutely going to be ups and downs. It's going to be a roller coaster. And when you're down, a lot of times you're going to need some other people to help you get back up. And I've been fortunate to have a lot of people that have gone to bat for me over the years. You guys mind if I just chime in? Uh, this is just for both Sarah and Victor. And, you know, it's not only refreshing, but just a pure joy for me to listen to you both and see both embarking on your careers and, and being successful but you know one thing to point out and this is sort of to open it up for everybody you know I have the pleasure of working side by side with Karen and Laurel and Joe and and hearing from you Victor and Sarah and, and Adam too and then also with you Chelsea as, as our executive producer and there's one kind of common thread and I want to sort of share this because Spencer and Emily and Ben and Matthew and Louise I see you all there as well as some who don't have their cameras on, you're all here. And it's something I like to call the producer's mentality. It's a way of looking at how, and you, you talk about it, Sarah, like you're pushing constantly. It could be content, it could be relationships, and it's the idea that you can produce your own life. And there will be a lot of things out of your control that can present hurdles and challenges and test our resiliency, but, you can produce it. And I think, you know, Joe, and you've always been sort of the, well, if we're talking about Oprah as the queen, you're the king of like this idea of production in this sport media program, you know, and I, I feel very grateful to be a part of that. But I think the one common thread that I always feel when we share these stories is how we're producers, you know, we get buy-in from people. We understand that, hey, I need to produce something to get my word out, my vision out. I need to push that and get other people to hear that. And, um, you know, Victor and, and Sarah, it is just so impressive 
to hear you, but it's, I, I would say it's that little, this that hidden secret. And I want to put it out there for everyone who's listening today. You have to act like you're a producer. You have to act as if and see how it manifests and materializes in the real world. It won't be perfect. It won't be linear, but it'll be you producing your life. It's about making things happen. And these students, Victor, students or graduates, Victor, Sarah, Adam's <laughs> here. From the beginning, they've made things happen. And that's the big secret for success, I think for any of us, for our careers. And there's no, it just keeps going on down through the years and the generations is you've got to be able to make things happen. You can't wait for things to come to you. And Sarah and Victor never waited for things to come to them. And people who've graduated and done well and gone on to you know, different careers, or, or, sorry, different uh, jobs within the industry, or even maybe sidelined to the industry, they didn't wait for things to happen for them. So you can't wait. You have to be a producer, you're right, whether you want to be on air or a writer or an editor, or this that, you're making things happen. You don't sit and wait for things to come to you. Yeah, and you know what else I, I also always took with me? It was actually my wife who shared this with me years ago when I was still at Sportsnet. And I was on the assignment desk and I, I always wanted to be a producer and I just never got a shot. And she, she said, just start acting like you're a producer. Why do you need someone else to tell you you're a producer if you're a producer? And I was like, I, honestly, the light bulb at that moment went off and I've really been a producer ever since. I mean, I, I joke, my classes are like my shows, you know, I'm producing a show with, VOs and SOTs and on cameras and everything else. Like it's amazing. So that idea of act as if when you decide what it is you want to do. And Victor, I was just sharing today in class and I, I still remember you sending me like raw World Cup bobsled feeds that you had voiced over on the weekend as play by play. I mean, I, I mean, I knew then as Karen also knows, you know, like Hockey Night in Canada wasn't too, you know, was your calling because not many people were voicing Austrian, you know, World Cup bobsled highlights in their free time on the weekend. So that's yeah. Just to kind of add on to that, Dan, too. Like when I was doing that, because I remember that stuff too. And man, I, I had a lot of fun doing that, shutting myself in my room and you know, yell into the screen for a couple hours and just having fun with it. But it's just like doing something little every day over a long period of time will get you far. Like it's a lot better to do just a little bit of something every day over a long period of time than to do a lot in one day and then kind of not do it for the next couple of days. Like consistency is a, a real big difference maker, consistency and discipline. And for me, that's, that's what it's always been with my commentary. I try and do something every day to make myself a better commentator, whether that's, you know, practicing like an on-air hit in the mirror or whatever. Right. And, you know, whether that's looking back at some of my own stuff, whether that's listening to somebody else and trying to pick apart their call and something that I like that they do really well, that maybe might work for me as well. So you're so right about producing yourself. And if you're able to do that every day or, and do things with that in mind to try and make yourself better and, and whatever it is you're trying to make yourself better at, you do it over a period of time and you can't help but improve. So I'd like to make sure we have time for rapid fire. And then I do want to spend, I've got two questions that I would absolutely need to get in for uh, International Women's Day to both Sarah and to Victor, but Dan, so we got to keep the rules tight for rapid fire tonight, but over to you for rapid fire, Dan.
Thanks, and I, I only have a few questions total. So the key is it's got to be 10 words or less. It's got to be the first thing that comes to your mind. Some of the questions will be for both of you. Some will be for one or the other, and we can get through this in a couple minutes. Are you game? Are you ready? Let's go. Ready. Is there a point? Like, can I beat Victor? Can I beat Victor? Is there points? Head to head. Winner take all. All right, so let's go a little retro to start. For both of you, Victor, we'll start with you. Your favorite course at Ryerson? Uh, history of World War II. Sarah? <laughs> um, uh, mall documentary, actually. Documentary was my favorite course at Ryerson. Right. So just we'll, we'll keep it in the Ryerson years for a second. Looking back, if you knew then what you know now, what would you have told yourself heading into first year, Sarah? Um, learn how to use Photoshop uh, and, and Adobe After Effects and be proficient in all of them. Don't just be okay at all of them, be like good at all of them. Amazing. Victor? Learn to navigate Jorgensen Hall. <laughs> I love the obscurity yeah. from uh, Victor today. And you probably explain this, I'm, uh, mostly for selfish reasons. I don't know. I mean, your Twitter Twitter handle is Sarah Jenkins XO. You claim that the XO is a sports analogy. Can you tell us what that is? The sports analogy? Uh, no, it is called I was a teenage girl with a very basic name, and I liked Gossip Girl in high school when I got Twitter. So that is why there's an XO, and now it's part of the brand, and I needed to make it fit. Beautiful. No. Victor, so you, you called your NHL game. Can you share with the audience, everyone here today, who your all-time favorite play-by-play -play voice is? Oh, man, there's so many. There's so many, Dan. Um, got to give me your number one off the top Victor, of Victor, your... don't do it. Don't answer. Don't I know, answer that. <laughs> I know. That's that's great yeah. advice, Karen. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say myself. Beautiful. I like it. Eh? A little bit of a little bit of confidence in there. Way to go, Karen. A little coaching in there from the coach. Respect. That's a, that's a true mentor right there. Totally. We have our sideline rapid fire reporter, Chels, who has a rapid fire for you. Chels, why don't you fire one in before I finish up? All right. Will we see a Sport Talks cameo or shout out on Hey, my name is Sarah, and it is my this is my Monday night with me vlog on TikTok tonight. You will. You will. I vlogged before this. You will see it. I feel so uncomfortable. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, and Victor, of course, will get a rapid fire shout out in your next NHL broadcast. That's right. You bet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I got another one. Yeah, Vic, it's April. the same as my TikTok. Yeah. That's the same. <laughs> All right. Last question for you both before we get to International Women's Day and the questions Laurel has. So share with everyone what your visions are for your careers and the future of sport media. Victor, you start. Man, I got less than 10 words for this? Well, That's right. Got, so you only got five left now. Oh, I, I, yeah, okay, true. <laughs> I, Sarah went way over a couple answers ago, so whatever, I'm going rogue here too. Go thoughtful answer on this one, because it is yeah. a question, so please. Yeah, I, I think for me, I just, I, I don't want to make my goals too specific. I, I think that's something I would have done in university. Oh, I know it's something I did do in university that I wanted to get to this certain point. Uh, just for example, let's say, you know, a massive goal for me was to, to call the World Junior Hockey Championship. Well, you know, if I never do that, it doesn't mean I'm a failed commentator, right? Like there's so many other things I can do in my career that aren't calling the world juniors that would, you know, lead to a, a fulfilling, I think, career in life for me. So I, I just want to be able to, to do this for a living and, and, you know, put myself in a position where I'm really proud of myself and what I've done and, 
and I'm just happy, you know, like that's, that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day for me. And it doesn't really matter if it's ski jumping or, or if it's NHL hockey games. Like I just, I love doing broadcasting. I love the process that goes into the preparation. I love going to work with my friends every day. I love the payoff of, you know, an exciting call in the moment, like all of that together for me is, is what really, really does it for me. That's, that's why I love it so much. So just to be able to do this for a living, you know, week in, week out for me is, is really just the goal. I think that was 300 words. Yeah, good counting. I think for me, I struggle with this question because the job I'm in right now didn't even exist a year ago, let alone when I was in university. Uh, so I think for me, specializing in making content in the digital space, I mean, again, like TikTok wasn't something we realized could be a great platform for video content like a year and a half ago, right? So as I've gotten, as I've gotten older, the thing that I've realized is I'm not really making like tangible, like Victor said, goals when it comes to, I want to be this exact job at this exact place, whatever. I mean, like there's some things like bucket list stuff I'd love to do. I'd love to be on the ground for an Olympics. I mean, like if I'm shooting high, I mean, I either want to be like the president of a media company here or like own my own. Like, I mean, like that's like the long-term like big stuff. But when it comes to like the, sh I mean, who knows? Like I might be working for Netflix live streaming sports five years from now, right? Like we don't know what's going to happen. So I try not to get too tied to that like Victor, but I mean, like, I just want to, I want to be in charge wherever I am. <laughs> Beautiful. If I'm being transparent. <laughs> for a Monday, March the 8th. Sarah, Victor, thank you both. And Laurel, send it back to you. Great. So I want to tie in, of course, as we're a university, I'd like to tie in a study here for International Women's Day. And so one of the studies is by a woman named Dr. Cheryl Cookie. And she and her fellow authors wrote an article called From Fizzle to Sizzle. And the whole high value uh, production and techniques of play-by-play -play commentators in sport. And so, Victor, for you here on International Women's Day, everything that you have learned about and who you are as a person and what you've learned at Ryerson University in the workplace and as well, just in terms of your own value system with your family. Let me read this to you. This was also by Cookie Messner and another author called Musto. So over the years, we have seen sport change. So at first, we saw commentators and play-by-play -play and just let's say on-air talent in general, framing women athletes in televised sports and then sexually objectifying women. And this was something again, and also tying them to belonging to someone. So let's just think about, this is really dating back to the late 1990s, noting Pavel Bure, who was dating Kornikova it was her, her then boyfriend, NHL player, and the crowd and the commentation was that, oh, wow, what does it take to date Anna Kornikova? You'd be willing to watch and play the game this afternoon knowing that she might be in the stands. To this overall just objectifying women and moving from that. Then we saw things change, and so there was less objectification of women. The study continues to go that when men talk about sports, on sports center segments, as an example, when they talk about male sports, they average two minutes, five seconds in length to give their commentating about um, the sports. In comparison, they'll give women's less than 47 seconds. So same sport, two minutes, five seconds in length for male sports, less than 47 seconds for female sports. And they call it latent versus less overt. So, you know, sexism and don't even realizing that people are doing this 
when commentating. Is this something that crosses your mind um, just in general? And how do you think you'll contribute to the equity for women in sport? Yeah, it's absolutely something I've thought about before. And, but I think for me at the end of the day, like my job as a commentator is to elevate the product, you know, whatever it is I'm, I'm covering. And what I love so much about this is that I get to go to work and, and commentate and, you know, witness the best, most elite athletes in the world do what they do. And, and that's the focus for me every time I go to the booth and, and I'm there for commentary, right? Like it doesn't matter. You know, I, I've called uh, the, the national championship for the women's under 18 before. That was one of the first things I did in like November of 2018. And I don't approach that any differently than I, you know, ever did calling a, a Ryerson men's hockey game. Like, you know, at the end of the day, what we're looking for here is we just want proper coverage, right? As far as women's sports go, I, I don't think we want to be looking at this as like it being a, a special thing that it's, it's women playing hockey, for example, like it's hockey. It doesn't matter that it's a woman or a man playing it. So for me, I just, anytime I have the opportunity to, to go and call high level sports, it really excites me, whether it's men or it's women. And for me as a commentator, my job is to, to try and add to the product and do these athletes justice by telling their stories and elevating them and selling and, and just trying to, to promote the product as best as I can. So that's always been my mindset. I, I think it always will be. I, I think it's important to take some moments in time to stop and think about you know the way we're doing it. And it's super important to listen as well, right? I, I mean, look, there, there's people that are far more qualified to talk about this than I am. And I, I think it's really important for, you know, us as commentators to, to take a moment to listen as well. And, you know, what do the athletes have to say and what other people have to say about the, the way, especially women, right? What do women have to say about the way that the women's sports are being covered? So uh, that, that's just the way I look at it. I, I always look at it though as a, a, a great opportunity. And it's something I, I love to do when I get to call elite athletes, whether they're men or women. Sarah, so thank you, Sarah, for you today on your post. Um, one of the things that you showed was, if, if I was not mistaken, I just watched it quickly. I only watched it once, was Bouchard when they asked, they asked Bouchard to twirl, show us your outfit, twirl around, and she did. And so the question also in this article does talk about that is that this also comes down to the production value and also to, to Karen as an executive producer. So instead of featuring in action game footage and you know slow motion replays where women can show the physicality or engaged in like say body contact and show the skill set and the athletic side of it that they're showed exactly. Can you twirl or shown on the bench cheering for one another or hugging when they celebrate in a victory? And this, this study was done and this is what overwhelmingly came as a result. How are we changing that narrative and that production value by having women both like you in these roles to change that? Well, one thing that I'm really proud of that CBC is committed to is on our, um, we are committed to 50% coverage uh, across all of our platforms. So for us on the digital team, we have weekly emails that go out that tell us where we're at for percentage wise. So maybe last week, I'd say this week is probably going to skew more women's stories than men's, which will then make up for other weeks that are, but we're trying to get to as close to 50, 50 coverage of women's sports stories as we can, which is something that's really good because we're consciously thinking about it. And I think the key is bringing it to the forefront and consciously thinking about it because otherwise you're just going to keep doing the stuff that we were taught in the norm and whatever. But when you're consciously thinking about how, making it from the lens of like, okay, we have to really like think about the way that we're doing this. I think it makes it uh, 
I don't know. I just think that that's how you make the change. Like I can't, I can't speak to it too much on like obviously the production side because I'm not working on the television side with live production or anything. But I know when we are doing our breakdowns or telling sports stories, like I'm very cautious about the conscious, sorry, about the B-roll that we use or the shots that we use because we want to be showing them just as athletes, not as female athletes, et cetera. So I'm lucky that we work at a place that is trying to champion that and is trying to make waves and go in the right direction with that. I think bringing it to the forefront is the only way you can really do that. Karen, do you have a comment on that? Uh, what I would say to everybody is, uh, I guess, three things. The first thing is remember that sports is entertainment and historically production of sport and telling stories, there's an entertainment factor. And so when you had in the eighties and the nineties and it's mostly men and you know, that's where you get the stuff with the inappropriate cameras and the inappropriate comments and what we deem is inappropriate, but there, it came from a place of entertainment and fun. So I don't want to shit on every man that ever worked in the sports world because I wouldn't be here with some great, incredible men that mentored me and helped me. So I want people to understand that it, it is, it was entertainment and it was fun and we didn't judge things the same way. But I pivot back over number two to what Victor said, as a live sport producer myself, I cover the sport for the sport. I tell the stories for the story. I don't think about, is it a man or a woman? And I, I cover equestrian, which is one of the only sports where men and women compete directly against each other. And so the storytelling is about the sport and the athleticism, and it isn't looking for things that are sexist and not sexist. So that's the first goal, produce sport, for storytelling and covering sport, not a gender thing. And the third thing is that you have to believe and push and work for an organization that takes a chance and makes a mandate and says 50% sport on broadcast, 50% of hours. Our play-by-play -play commentators are not just men, they're women. So we are making these conscious decisions. TSN and Sportsnet have initiatives. They're getting there. They're working on that. CBC as a public broadcaster is a little bit out in front. Companies like Media Pro and And One and DAZN and uh, European Sports, it's all over the place that people are making conscious decisions. So as producers and young people making content, you want to tell the stories genderless and make it about the athletes and the stories and the competition. As leaders, we want to make sure that we are showing accountability and that we are checking in with people and saying, did you have to, did you have to get another man to do that? Is there a better voice that could have told that story? Is, is there a more diverse person? Is there someone from, and full circle to what Sarah says, every bloody women's day, how come all the women in the room have to produce the women's day? Three years ago, I did a huge take for the net, for the company, for CBC. And I am the only woman executive in sports. And they said, Karen, you take this on. I did. Sarah worked on that with me. But at the end of that project, do you know what I said, everybody? I said, I'm not doing international women's day again. Cause you know what? A man, can produce the content for International Women's Day. And I have not produced the content for International Women's Day for three years now, two years now. And that's mm -hmm. by choice. Not because I don't support International Women's Day, but why does a woman have to produce it? Women need to be involved, but don't make it tokenism. And going off that point, that's where like our team of four that produced our International Women's Day video, we had two men and two women for that purpose. So I had Steve Zemis, an incredible editor at CBC, who took on the edit for it. And I had Aaron Dutra, who was my intern for the digital studio, who helped co-write it and do all of our research for it. And they took as much pride in the project as we did, like whether, so and I think that's 
another important thing that Karen brought up too is just if you really want the buy-in and we really want to make any change, it can't just be the women that need to be pushing forward for women's sports stories, women's whatever. Like the fact that like there's just this assumption that the women will pitch the women's sports stories needs to be gone. Because if you are covering, if your beat is soccer, you should be covering the women's national team, the men's national team. You should be covering all areas of soccer. It does not matter. It should not, it, like Karen said, it should be genderless. When I was producing rugby for the Olympics last year, we gave, sorry if there's sirens, um, we gave one, like we had a one men's game and one women's game and we produced them the exact same. You don't do rugby sevens any differently based on the men or women. So I think it's really on, the, it's the ownership is on everybody, not just on the women in the room to push the female voices and the female sports further. Like it can't just be us or else we will literally never get anywhere. I happen to agree with both of you. And in terms of making sure that we have male allies in the room, of course, tonight have two people, Sarah and Victor. And number two, also just wanted to let you know, Matthew Davidson produced our International Women's Day video for the GXS lab and it was phenomenal. So congrats to Matt as well. Just a little cheers to you. The one thing though, I just, I, I'm what I'm hearing and I, I'm gonna challenge similar to what you were saying about CBC last week with you sports and the challenge. I'm gonna challenge both of you on this. It sounds too good to be true. So I just, I agree with you that males need to be at the table. We need male allies. And that I love the fact that Karen, you said, I'm never producing international women again. Men should be doing that as well and take pride in it and give it the attention and the value that it deserves. And that's the thing that I'm trying to get to the root of on this international women's day. There's so many amazing women to celebrate. There's so many positive stories to celebrate. So I challenge because I want to say like, we are doing such great things and we have to continue to be positive, but I want to make sure at least it's not all roses and maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just like jaded or something, but I don't see it as all being perfect. And we still have a thousand, we're still a thousand steps behind. It's not perfect. And it's absolutely, it's not perfect. It's a lot better than it was. And then for, for okay. a lot of people, that's not good enough. A lot of people will say that, but I don't know. I still come from the stance of if you've been around in this business long enough, you've seen enough things in your time. But one thing that hasn't changed that I really notice. And this is to me what I think is at the root of if there's an issue or a problem. When you take something like the Olympics that comes around every two years, or it used to be every four years when they do summer and winter. But whenever the Olympics come around, you have a lot of talented people. But when you have the producing sport row, an editing floor, every single suite is a, is a man producing sports. Karen is the lone woman producing a show, but I can't remember the last time there was a woman producing a sport. Maybe Donna, like 2008. I mean, it was me. I was the lone woman producing sport. And then I climbed the ladder, you know, and grow. But Laurel, I don't think anybody would ever say that it's perfect or it's all fixed. I think at some point, though, you just have to be the voice in the room. And I keep coming back to this message is that I'm there and I'm in the room. And that's how I'm making change. But calling yes. everybody out on their shit all the time and pointing out all the negativities mm -hmm. is, is draining. And I've had 30 more years of it and telling the negative stories about all the negative people and all the horrible things that have happened. I don't know what good that's going to do because there's been some great people and there have been doors open and there have been opportunities and it's trying to just go forward now and showing people, like I'm saying, having the allies, have people in the room, make the men accountable you know, and keep going forward. 
I do think that there's something there though, because a couple of years ago we did a survey and we asked the students coming into the RTA sport media program, what do you want to do when you come in? I want to be a producer or I want to be on air. Overwhelmingly said those two things. What do you want to do when you come out? I want to do marketing. I want to do digital content. And it's so something happens in between there. But also when we know this, that when students come in, everybody wants to be on air or producer. Why? Because those are really the only jobs they know of. Maybe a camera person, but they don't really know the other jobs that go on within sport media. So I don't see it as a, as a negative. I see it as a positive that by the end of four years, they actually find their own paths, whether it be marketing or digital or editing or camera or graphics or on air or producing, it splinters off. And so I don't think that's, that it's a bad thing. I think it's a young people actually find their own way. They find their voice within the program. They come in thinking one thing because they only know one little sliver. Then by the time they leave, they know all the slivers and they know which one's theirs, where they wanna go. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's the beauty of it actually. Yeah, Joe, just to piggyback off of that, uh, Karen, you remember, uh, creative oh man whatever it was i, I forget the name creative of the processes creative processes 8 a.m in ilk perfect that i don't know sarah and i must have been in the same class for that one because i think there were like three sections but you asked us on day one put your hand up if you wanted to be on air and what was it like 70 percent of the class put their hand up or something like that right and i, I know at least for my section you know i think i'm the only one that that's still doing on air at this point so it's it's a tough process to go through to, to get to this point for sure. And I, I think a lot of the things that I've learned that have helped me get to this point have, have come from the failures more than, uh, than some of the successes. But you know, I remember when I was first getting into on air and trying to figure out like what the magic formula was to, to be a play-by-play -play commentator, which I've since found doesn't exist. Everybody told me that it was always about being yourself on air, which it is, that's true. But the problem is when you're a young adult in your late teens, early twenties, you don't know who you are yet in a lot of cases. And so much of this industry about getting beat up and, you know, going down and, and picking myself back up and, you know, getting back in the race has allowed me to figure out what I really am. And at the end of the day, you know, like I'm more confident now than ever as a 25 year old that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And maybe that'll change. Maybe in 15 years, I won't feel like doing it anymore. And then I'll go and do something else. But you know, it's, it's an industry where, where things change and, and people change and sometimes your ambitions and, and goals change as you go along. And I think that's why it's so important to not chain yourself down to say that at this point, at this age, I want to be doing this. Because if you're not and you don't reach that goal, it, it doesn't mean you're a failure at all. No. And can I ask I Sarah and Victor one quick question? Because we always talk about as teachers and men mentors, and we tell you guys what you're doing great and here's what you should do. But have you ever heard it from anyone when they tell you, you know what, you're not gonna be good at that. Because being an on-air person is a tough gig. Being a play-by-play -play person is a tough gig. And if I told you, you know, I, I don't think you've got what it takes, would you listen? So Sarah and Victor, did anybody along the way ever point out something that maybe you should let that go? And, or, you know, where you're just stubborn and I'm going to do what I want to do. Cause there's that too, about knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are. I've never told this story before, but it, it's, it's hundred percent true. Exclusive. Yeah. So here you go. This is breaking news for you. I, when I was 17 years old, uh, I was a volunteer at Rogers TV and uh, I, everyone on crew knew that I wanted to be, you know, an on-air talent. At that point, I was kind of grinding things out, being a camera guy, doing, you know, cable wrapping, all the hard knock jobs. And this one guy 
straight up told me I wasn't photogenic enough to be on TV, which, you know, is, is ridiculous looking back on that now. But as a 17-year-old kid, I was like, damn, you know, maybe, maybe he's right, you know? And, and there was nothing. I hadn't had any tangible success yet as a commentator at that point. So that, that was something that, that's, you know, stuck in the back of my head for a, a long, long time. But over time, I, I've gotten a lot better at, at really narrowing down the list of people's opinions that I actually care about. You know, like when, when I look at my commentary and I look at who I am as, as a person as well, but specifically in this case in my career, like the, the list is pretty short of people whose opinions I actually care about. And then everything else is just noise. And, and that goes with the negative and the positive as well. So I, th I think that's really important. I know it has been for me just, you know, determining which people's opinions actually, you know, mean something to me. I think for me, I didn't know what a producer was until I got to Ryerson and creative processes. Um, it was very clear that I did the entire group assignment and Karen, Karen called out the class and said, okay, this is great, but Sarah did this entire assignment and Sarah, you were the producer here. So like, and like, that was the first time I heard the word, like, Sarah, you're the producer. Like, I didn't know what that was. Like, I had no idea. It was, the funny thing is now working at CBC and it was like pitching a show about the DeForla Point sisters as a reality show, right? Like, it's so funny to think about now, but I actually didn't know that my strength was being a producer until Karen first semester and then I had Joe second semester. And I obviously talk because then Joe puts me as like a producer the first week that we're there, like we're actually doing stuff. Um, I quickly learned that I was not good at uh, operating cameras when I broke a camera at Rogers TV when it came to that. So I think that was the time that they were like, nope, let's not do that anymore. But I, I think I'm also too, like you asked if people are st stubborn. I think I'm, I'm too stubborn in the sense of I don't like not being good at things. So if I'm not good at something, I can like tell right away. And I'm like, nah, we're not gonna, we're not going to waste our time doing this. Let's focus on the things we are good at. But I don't think it was as much being told the things that I wasn't good at as much as like, I didn't realize things I was good at until those were brought forward. And that's how I got to where I am now. And I still remember how at the end of first year, that eight minute sports cast, you were a producer and you were so like, oh my God, oh my God, that's the hardest <laughs> thing ever. Blah, blah, blah. I just like, I have to throw that out there because to think, think back to that five what was that i know years ago no i don't know seven seven and it's seven, like that yeah. was nothing <laughs> i know i know but it's then so, it was it's big so then it was big yeah. building blocks it's a yeah i mean 100 i mean it's just it's that same stress i get that exact same feeling now it's just on different scales it's like when yeah. producing rugby on for national television or something it's the different stress but it's it's the same feeling of overwhelmed and stressed and when you're stressed you i care about it that's what that means mm -hmm. So listen, uh, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for taking the time, Victor and Sarah, with, for being here with us tonight to talk about your careers and also to celebrate International Women's Day. And I, I think we'll summarize this as um, a wonderful opportunity to talk to RTA alumni and to follow your careers and, and your fellow colleagues as well, to, to see what you're up to and for all of us to use you also as an example to your fellow alumni in the program and to the up and coming students in the program to see what you're up to, um, some advice that you have given us tonight to be staying the course and practice and prepare and put yourself out there for many experiences. And at the same time as well, celebrating the gender equity in sport. So thank you so much for tonight. This is Sport Talks with Sport Profs. I'm Prof Walls. I am joined. Uh, was joined here tonight with Prof Joe, Prof Sevesta, and Coach Berlin, and as well, the executive producer, Chelsea Vern, and of course, our spotlight speakers, Victor Finley and Sarah Jenkins. Thanks for joining us and have a good night, everyone. Thank you.